This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. A choice right now, right now. Between fear and love. It's just a run. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expounding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into a, an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very Expanding reality. Richard Rokeby, it is so cool to see you again, my friend. You came on episode 51, my friend, two years ago with your book, The Lights Upon the Hills, the Burton Dassett UFO event of 1923. Actually, December through February, right? December 22 through 23. I love this story. This is fascinating. You found so many awesome things that you brought to us here with the church, with the lights, with everything. And since then, you have produced an incredible new version of this where you have updated witnesses. You have a men in black encounter that we're going to talk about. You have all sorts of things account happening in the area in which you find yourself. And it's fascinating, my friends. So you're through Flying Disc Press, which is Philip Mantle. This is family anyhow. So you guys know how this works. All the ways to find him and this amazing book and the update for it located down in the show description. Richard, my friend, how have you been? I've, I've been good, Brandon. Thank you. And uh, thank you for having me back on. And it's great to see that the show has gone from uh, success to success. Well deserved as well. Oh, thank you, um, sir. <laughs> yes. We're yeah. So fun. I have. I have, um, I have, as you mentioned there, so I've, I've updated a copy of my my book, The Lights Upon the Hills. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I've spent maybe last uh, year or so just updating it. And I felt, put a bit of context, it was first written during COVID when I was still working. Um, I, work as, I may remember I was a police officer, so I worked through COVID, like a lot of police officers did, emergency services did. And... Um, but and I was pleased with what came out of uh, Flying Disc Press with Philip Mantle, absolutely fantastic organisation, and I'm still very, uh, very much in touch with Philip. But I, I felt as though um, I could do more with the book once I had a bit more time. So I retired from the police about two years ago, and just put my efforts really into putting a few things right, getting some more information, new witnesses. Uh, my own experiences whilst I've been investigating Burton Dasset Hills. Uh, and I wanted to just, yeah, put it into a new book. And the new book um, has got colour pictures in. It's, it's twice the size as the original book. So, yeah, there's, I put a lot more into it and I, I'm really pleased with the product. I can't wait to get the copy, man. This is awesome. I've got the PDF, but it's nothing like the real hands-on deal, you know? And I always tell Philip, I, I love it, but you know I'm going to order the book anyway. So thank you very yeah. much. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But it's, yeah. a, it's a good thing to kind of go over, though. But you did such amazing work in this one. So so let's talk about it. Do you mind just, I know that uh, your first episode, again, guys, uh, link down in the show description, episode 51. But it's, it's linked down there. But do you mind just giving us a brief overview of the first one? And then we're going to get into some of the new stuff that you found. Yeah, so the, the the story originates, I suppose, is when I first moved up to the area from London um, into Warwickshire in England. And um, I came up in 2002, got a few local books, local history books, a ghost book. And within the ghost book, uh, there was one chapter which really caught my attention, and it was called The Lights on the Hills, or The Lights on Burton Dasset Hills. And it was written by a local historian who put it in the same context that it was uh, reported at the time in 1922, 1923, that were ghost lights were seen moving around this, this hilly area. And there's a church and there's a vicarage and there's a small wooded area. And you can completely understand why it was put in with ghosts and it was reported as ghosts at, at the time. But I just felt that looking through it 
through the prism of what we know now about uh, UAPs and UFOs. To me, it felt like, just from those three or four pages, but it felt like a really important mass UFO event. So I, I carried the idea of researching it in more detail around with me for about 20 years until I eventually had that time to start to dig in a bit deeper. And, and what I found only confirmed that, really. So we, I got some uh, press reports from the time. Um, and, and what was being described was people were going up onto the hills and seeing these lights moving around at different speeds, different um, um, elevations, different heights, different altitudes, diff, uh, different colours. And um, coming back, and the stories are beginning to grow in the local area, so much so that the local papers first went, sent reporters up to see them. And then the national papers, so the Birmingham Times, the London Times, all sent reporters around from around the country up to see these lights. Now, in 1922-23, um, spiritualism was having a bit of a renaissance. Uh, it, was, it was brought over to the UK originally by the Fox sisters, I think, about... Uh, 1869, following the American Civil War, which is where uh, spiritualism first um, uh, appeared sort of thing. Um, and then it uh, it fallen out of favour, but following the First World War, spiritualism had this huge surge of interest again because people wanted to believe that they would see their sons that had been killed in the war. So if there was any reports of lights anywhere, uh, people would spend their Sunday afternoons or their evenings going up into these sort of places looking for these lights. One, it was really interesting. It was something to do. But on a deeper level, it it, it could corroborate people's beliefs that spirits were real, the afterlife was real, and then there'd be a hope that they'd see their, their sons that had been killed in the war again. All playing on emotion, you know, which is why the spiritualist yeah. movement was so successful. They can, they have powers that you don't, and then they find and exploit the weaknesses or the vulnerabilities rather in you than just an, an emotional human. And then it's a very yeah. successful model. But it's fascinating yeah. when uh, people go out. So, are there any reports of it being more than just lights upon the hills when people were out there for so much? Yeah. So the, the predominantly it's lights, and these are generally all described the same as well. So. Again, if people were fabricating it or wanted the, the attention, then you'd expect them to have different reports. But they all seem to corroborate each other in as much as they're relatively small lights, about the size of a car headlamp. Um, they're traveling at speed. They look to be searching for things. Um, they're different colors, but predominantly white, but also blues and reds. Uh, there was one report that I found where... Um, someone, a crowd was watching these lights. And I have no doubt that hundreds and hundreds of people saw these lights rather than just the the ones that made the, the paper reports or the ones that were ca captured by local um, sort of storytelling. I'm, I'm sure hundreds of people saw them. And one person described seeing what they thought was figures in a light. Because um, along with these predominantly round headlamp type size uh, objects, there's there's more or less two perhaps three reports of a, a bright orange orb, which is it's significantly bigger. And that was seen, firstly, it was seen by a reporter who went out from the Birmingham Times, I believe, uh, went up onto the hills to try and see these lights and didn't see anything, was a bit dejected, was heading back down, but thought would take, take in the view at the highest hill. And he describes in his report, part of the paper how he saw an orange orb come through the cloud base and illuminate the bottom of the cloud base before moving off at speed um and that is a fantastic report you know he's got other people with him um he's, he's made it into the paper and then that similar thing this orange orb was seen by a railway signalman who we now know his name was called um he was called mr w uh um uh, Corbett, and he was a signalman, very responsible job back in them days. Um, and he put his career and his livelihood on the line. And he reported that this orange, an orange orb landed, effectively came from over the hills and landed in front of his signal box. <laughs> and um, he was so uh, freaked out by it, he rang the local 
railway station. They told him to ring, ring the police. Uh, and the report actually details that he got one of the, the giant metal spanners that used to use for turning the signals back in the days. And he went out to face this, this thing. Fortunately for him and maybe the orange object, it, 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 it flew off and he reported it flying off back towards the hills. So, yeah, there, there, there is these these reports of what have been seen, but generally they fall into these two brackets, these small lights moving fast, moving high, and this orange orb that, that was seen on a couple of occasions. It's fascinating. I mean, all of this is so interesting. And then the way you describe that it, this orange orb lowers beneath the cloud level, illuminating it from below. We all picture... You know, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't live in the UK. I haven't been there yet, but I just picture it gray and gloomy kind of all the time. And so I just picture this bright orange thing lighting up this real dreary background with these bright green hills and people just losing their shit over it. I just think it's a yeah, beautiful I mean, picture. You get, yeah, you can. And it was February, so February, very dark in January, February, very dark in, in, in England, in Warwickshire particularly. Yeah. And, and what's unusual about this area, I think, why it's a standout is Warwickshire is right in the heart of England. It's more or less in the middle of England. And it's rolling countryside. I sort of describe it when I've talked before. It's a bit like Middle Earth from Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. You know, the, the Shire, this, 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 this sort of green, small hills, very pastoral. But then um, Burton, Dasset Hills, these hills shoot, they're not that high. Um, there'd be foothills in, in parts of America, no doubt. But for this area, they, they, they are very prominent. So they go up to about two, six, two feet. Uh, they're very prominent. And there's five of them. Five of them create this sort of, you know, it's only maybe um, a mile by a mile square. But it, it, it's so unique, the area. You can see it for miles because it just looms out of, of this sort of countryside, really. Are we sure they're just hills and not burial mounds of some kind or archaeological? Yeah, so that's a, that's a really good point. Someone else mentioned that before about could they be artificial? Yeah, they 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 aren't. They, I mean, we know what's under them, which is iron ore, <clears throat> and um, it's had a lot of attention in the area because of the iron ore. So we know in Dark Ages times, Saxon times, there is within the area there was lots of scoops out the ground, which are basically all open iron ore mines. And even as late as the 19th, uh, the early 20th century for the First World War, uh, train lines would go up onto Burndas Hills and the iron, the, um, they'd mine the iron ore there to help the war effort. Um, but, you know, the iron ore does have a number of, number of interesting factors around it. One of the explanations that's been put forward is perhaps earth lights, um, you know, a, a bit like the Hasseldalen lights in, in, in Norway. Yeah, like ball lightning or something. And excuse me, the ball lightning, etc. I personally don't think that is them, but they, they, there is a good case for that because the, the lights are similar in some ways. Um, just after these events, and uh, when the events sort of started and stopped, uh, started uh, December, stopped more or less end of, of February. There was nothing else. Nothing else really similar was seen for uh, since. But there was an earthquake um, in Warwickshire, which does happen. I, I've been here for an earthquake in 2002. And, and that, again, would suggest that perhaps the, the, the ground was moving, was summoning this up, and the lights were responsible for them. And we also have a place called the Royal Right stones which is an ancient monument it goes back to the times of stonehenge uh, 250 bc wow. 2050 2500 bc sorry and that there is blue um earth lights reported being seen there fairly regularly and that is only maybe 10 15 miles away from burnt desert hills but the reason i don't think they are earth lights is because the lights they're describing and I, and I can give some examples later on are, are, um Sure, intelligent control. Now that's either because they're probes and they're intelligent command, or the this um, phrase which I like, which I think was coined by um, Paul Sinclair. Um, this intel intelligent light forms, uh, and uh, and increasingly I'm beginning to think that's what these are because there is a degree of intelligence there. Whereas the Earth lights tend to be quite short in duration and don't really have any pattern to them. Whereas the lights that were seen in, in Burton Dasset in 1923 were seen moving around. They illuminated a house. They played hide and seek with some of the witnesses, etc. So it, it, to me, that shows a, de a degree of intelligence. 
Yeah, we'll leave ball lightning on there, but we're going to throw it in the pile in the back because it's not as fun. And we're going to talk about the fun <laughs> shit. Uh, it's yeah. on the pile, guys. If you just want to leave, you, you want to die on that hill, then go ahead and do it. But we're going to continue <laughs> on to some cooler hills, too. Uh, fascinating. So I'm curious about crop circles in the area related to the phenomena. There's this amazing video that uh, our, our mutual uh, publishing friend here, Mark Ollie, uh, talks about an ancient alien season 19. Shout out, Mark. Congratulations, buddy. And he's talking about this video uh, that we showed on his episode on here of the orbs or the balls that sort of under intelligent control. It seems like they're in the same family or maybe the same vehicle or whatever, just somewhere else that are forming these crop circles as they're flying above them. And so are there any crop circles reported in the area or a history of any of that? So, so crop circles generally in the UK, they form most of, most of, I think 80% of them form within four or five miles of Stonehenge. Stonehenge is about a 40 mile as the crow flies direction from Burton Dasset. It's not very far at all. Wil Wilch Wiltshire sort of area. Uh, I've seen that footage. I think you've talked about by the ball. Uh, lightning appears in the and the and it's fantastic, amazing piece of footage. Awesome. Yes, yes, it it could be similar. I mean, I I've, I did an article for um, Chris Evers's um, brilliant magazine, the Outer Limits magazine, um, and about um, crop circles. And uh, we went down for a day with with my son and went to Avery and uh, went to Stonehenge and there was a crop circle that was appeared. And um, I talked to a very interesting Swiss guy. Um, who had who had followed the crop circles all the way around the world, and he used to come over from Switzerland regularly just to go to Avebury to to see them. And he had a really interesting view, which was he he thought around eighty percent of them were man made, and some of them were even made by big companies trying to get on the bandwagon. But that twenty percent that he couldn't be explained. I, 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 he's absolutely convinced uh, uh, from, you know, another another civilization, another life force, if you like. And he was he would talk about how you could tell between uh, how the reeds were bent over and the and the burning and the energy. But what you can't deny, even my my son, who was fairly cynical about the whole thing, but it was a day out with his dad. When you walk into a crop circle, everything changes. There there is a similar feeling as if you're walking into a church or a ancient place there is a definite change in atmosphere when you go into it and and that can't be explained at, at, at all um so yeah so it, it is it is quite close to where crop circles are there is no crop circles that have been discovered around the area uh of, of burton that's it and i say that they're more or less contained i would say uh, particularly the genuine ones are more or less contained within two to three miles of Stonehenge. Wow. That's interesting, man, but it's still really close. And, and uh, we spoke last time about this being on a ley line section of where these power grids sort of intersect. Were you able to discover any of that more on that? Yeah. So um, we, I mean, yeah. So you need the three points for the, for the ley line uh, and, you know, b between all of them, there, there was nothing really, north that that would draw a, a straight line between the three it depends i mean it depends how far you want to, to want it to stretch it right i i i think more burton dasset is 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 more like one of these unique areas like rendlesham forest where we all know about the rendlesham sightings but there is that's the tip of the iceberg really um brenda butler will no doubt you've spoken to her will tell you all about it um, uh, where you've got connection with dogmen and spirits and not just UFOs and extraterrestrials, et cetera. Uh, or, in, in, you know, in, in the US, Skinwalker Ranch, somewhere like that. I, I think Burton Dassett fits into that category because, yes, we're, I'm talking about, at the moment, the UFO sightings, but there is other things that go on. You know, what the, what the church is telling us, the fact that there's a military base there, the fact that the Knights Templars were, were drawn to that area. Um, there, was a, there was a good body of evidence to suggest they left treasure there. So I, I wouldn't say it's particularly on a ley line. I think it's a it's an anomaly within itself hmm. rather than linking up with other, with other sort of areas. Yeah. And it's interesting uh, to discover the 
old history of this place. You know, go back to when it was maybe a totally different temple on top of where now the church stands. Because usually yeah. if it's this important and this has been going on, it's probably been going on for a while. And there's probably another temple or something built there, which is going to lead me to my question about underground stuff going on there. Please. Yeah. No, well, you've hit the nail on the head because through my new research, um, so the, the church of All Saints Church, which has these unusual carvings Paintings, and pictures, yeah, which, I, yeah. which I tease earlier in the book. I, I've since found out that that's, that's on probably on the site of a Roman temple. And actually, just outside the church, there is a holy well, which was a, a, a Roman um, well, a Roman place of worship, you know, going back to what must have been, you know, four, two, three hundred BC, um, AD. So you're dead right. It, the church has been built on what was probably a Roman um, area. And actually, the other thing I found out was what we know now know as Windmill Hill, which is the tallest hill within Burton Dasset Hills, was known as a Phoenix Hill in Roman times. And there is reports of red, and it got that name, I think, because red lights were seen around it. So that goes back to, that goes back to Roman times. So, yeah, I mean, the depth of history is, is huge and then, you know, you, you've got the Roman times and then I believe that the, the pictures, uh, the artwork in the church is depicting something from the ninth century um, AD. The pictures themselves were, were, were painted in the 14th century. Then you've got, you know, the sightings in the early 20th century, which to us is a long time. But to whatever these beings, these lights this civilization is that that's visiting with these craft probably isn't, you know, it, it could be the, the same as walking into a room and then walking, walking out of a room and walking back in again a few minutes later, you know, we, we just can't comprehend it. Yeah. Maybe they're just passing through from one dimension to another. And it is a being or some source of energy that, you know, would be described as a being in some reality that we can't even begin to comprehend and understand. Yeah. And that's what's passing through here. Sort of like you said, the light form beings. I mean, that's interesting because then it does denote more of an intelligence, but also there's a playfulness to it because then that's what makes it intelligent, you think. Because it doesn't seem like you said necessarily malicious, but it will kind of chase people around a little bit and kind of play around a little. So what do you have any stories of that about how it's interacted with folks directly? Yeah, so in the first book, I did mention a, a she was only known as the, as the maid. And she was a maid at the vicarage and uh, in quite early on, quite sorry, late on in 1922, I think one of the first sightings, she saw these, this light that was, she was saying was going hither and thither, undulate, going, uh, undulating over the hills and looked like it was following her to the vicarage. Uh, and that account is in the first book, but I've since found out that where that story came from. So it, it was collected local knowledge by that maid's great granddaughter who told her about this interaction she had with the with this light um in in 1922 and although we didn't get the name of the maid we we, we got the the details of her granddaughter and we got more details about that and what she actually said was is she saw the light on a number of occasions and always thought it was friendly didn't, never thought it was malicious it would follow her along the road down to the vicarage where she would start work. And then she'd got into a habit, the, the maid, of poking her head out to see if the light was there. And the light would appear when she looked out. And then she would go back in and she presumed the light disappeared. And then she'd poke back out again and the light would have reappeared. <laughs> so it was there was there was a sort of connection there. You know, there was some sort of, um, you know, I would say playfulness around it. Uh, which is a, which is a fantastic account. We we got more details about that. I'm curious um, because you you mentioned in in the pre-show uh, thing that you sent me here, which I, I'm grateful for, by the way. Um, that there's witchcraft in the area. So do you think maybe that this is just an area of powerful people? That maybe there's something in the water or the grounds that brings out a natural ability in the human beings that occupy the area to either manifest these things, call them forth, be a magnet for them, or like her, whenever you talk about that she pops her head out, saw it, it, it denotes a playfulness, but from an observer perspective, it's you playing with you. So maybe it's a, it's a, it's a way of sort of 
waking up or validating that you have some special gifts or something because you're able to see something most people aren't or only see from a distance as well as you have it sort of you're playing with it you know you're playing fetch with the thing you're kind of forming mm. a relationship in a way but yeah. do you think that that's coming from the individual which again may or may not have to do with the area maybe there's like something in the water and there's a bunch of witches and stuff running around there or yeah. that area can unlock powers or something like that i'm just curious yeah, if you've I've, thought of that yeah, no, I'd not really thought of it, but now, now you've mentioned it. I think it's probably to do with the area, to go back to my earlier the theory, if you like, because, like I said, probably hundreds of people had had sightings with these lights, 1922, 1923, um, and uh, only, only the sort of top 5% or 10% or something actually survived through history or made it into a, a newspaper report. Yeah, of the ones that reported it, that actually yeah, had an so the encounter. ones that reported it, and and, and say these these reports were going around and people were going up to see them and uh, and it was it, for two months it became the thing to do on a Sunday afternoon or you know Wednesday evening, sure. um, so I do think it's the place, I do think it's possibly something to do with the with the iron ore that's that's underneath it, I I think and I do include this in the book it's something to do as well with the um, geometry of the place. So it, it's set up um, with three hills at the front and two hills at the back. But the three hills at the front are, are very much in that Orion belt, um, Gaza pyramid, Giza pyramid, sorry, um, type of um, positions where two are in a line and one slightly off, off kilter, off that. Um, diagonal line and if you see it which like I have in February you know you walk you walk up it and you can see Orion the constellation Orion as if he is walking up the, the hills and the belt is directly above it and you've got these two hills and then one slightly offset directly below the three stars of Orion's belt which are two stars together and one slightly offset. Now, you can go further because um, you, you probably know in some cultures, Orion is actually looked at as a hand, the upside down hand with two stars being the wrist. Uh, sorry, with the um, uh, belt being a wrist and then fingers coming, coming down. And because we've got these two hands behind, two um uh, stars behind us, Betelgeuse, and uh, forgive me what the other the other one is, but um, it, it 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 almost mirrors the Orion constellation from from certain sort of certain sort of angles. Um, so yeah, and now I've had a bit of stick about that theory, but I don't I don't mind. You know, I put the theory out there. People can read the book, read the information I've got, and then. They, they can decide if there's something in it or not. But I, I just think it's if it was just on its own, it's one of these amazing coincidences about Burton Dassett where you have a hill formation that matches Orion constellation, you know, all, all five, in, you know, in, in some way, all five hills match it almost identically. And the sightings were seen predominantly in February, which is when Orion, January, February, which is when Orion's highest in the sky. So could be coincidence, but when you put everything else together with it, it, it it's just another, you know, tick in the box, really, of, of some of sort of high strangeness in that area. I, I think you, you're really on to something here, especially with the alignment now to Orion. I think that's fascinating, especially with the time he appears to be aligned with the physical location that mimics his alignment to be in the same window of time in which the phenomena occurs. I mean, you've nailed, I think this is a very interesting thread you're pulling on here. Detective, that's what you are. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it could be my detective brain making connections, but um, well, that's yeah, what's I needed, think, and know? then Yeah, and then you mentioned the, the witchcraft. So the witchcraft is very interesting as well. So uh, that came about because I do give tours around the area. People can email me and I'll meet, meet them there and give him a walk around that is and, totally uh, cool guys email in we're going to do one of these over there with you richard yeah please. yeah please come over and I, I took two other authors actually um meet up on a sunday afternoon you have a walk 
walk around. But we went into the Fox Culver Wood, which is at the, the bottom of the rear hill, uh, Church Hill. And um, it's only a small wood. There's a path around it. It's quite cultivated in some ways. But there is a clearing in the bottom right-hand uh, corner, which I had been into before. It's a natural clearing with, a, with trees still in there. Um, and I actually wild camped there uh, uh, on, a, on occasion. But this time when we walked in, as we walked up to that part of the wood, there was a huge uh, pentagram uh, in white spray on a tree uh, facing you as you came up to it. And that must have only appeared within two or three months since I was last there. Well, certainly wasn't there before. And then it, it appeared. And this was over the early summer months. Um, and it was in a circle. And then on the floor, there was a white dotted line. And then there was a solid line that was either side of a route, which was, you know, clearly indicating an entry and an exit point to me. So we, we went through the exit bit and then you're met in the center of this sort of natural clearing with another pentagram in a circle. And I was quite happy with the, with the pentagram in as much as it was in the Wiccan pagan manner. So the, with the star at the top yeah, like that, rather than, the two stars at either side, which you may, I'm sure you'll know, but people might not know it. That's the satanic side that, that symbolizes a goat and the devil, etc. So I was quite happy we weren't entering into a satanic place of worship, but it was certainly a wicker or a pagan place of worship. Um, and then as you go through further, there was another tree which had strange symbols on it, a triangle, a sort of hourglass shape. And then round the outside of the trees, uh, they were marked with letters and symbols or numbers uh, or, and, and letters. So you get D4, D1, 3, 2F, these sort of things um, going around the outside. And then there was other man-made, small man-made structures made out of branches, which you could maybe fit two people in. And there was evidence there of flames, etc., or fires that being built there. So we had to look around the area. Actually, it was quite, Tidy, you know, there wasn't rubbish laying around, crisp packets, cans of drink, etc. It all been tidied out, so it had been well respected. So we had a look around. I took some photographs, which I've included in, in the book because I figured I'd be writing about it. So um, took that back with me. So I looked into a bit more research in the area about witchcraft and found that there'd been two satanic, and the word described as satanic, satanic murders in the local villages around Burton Dasset. So Burton Dasset's in the middle. You've got these five hills and a wood and a church. Uh, one end, you've got a village called North End, and the other one, you've got a village called Fenny Compton. And, and there was a case in North End where in the early 40s, 1940s, um, mild-mannered man, no trouble with the police, very well-respected, for some reason, went out in the street and stabbed another woman with a pitchfork and killed her. Damn. Um, they put it at the time down to sort of mentally being mentally deranged, but killing with a fit uh, a, a pitchfork, which is a two pronged fork used for hair, etc., um, was known as a as a way of, of of dealing with witches in medieval Britain. So it, it felt like, although it wasn't treated that way, but it did feel like a satanic murder. And then the second one, um, which I found out through my research, was the murder. Of a, of a policeman who was on duty outside the pub of Fenny, Fenny, um, Fenny Compton in, I think it was something like 1888 or 1889, so late 19th century, disappeared from his beats, couldn't be found, but was found two weeks later in nearby Oxford Canal, um, dead, and he had been killed with a pitchfork. Um, again, so I'll give, I'll give more details of the book. So that was, that was the, the, the context of witchcraft within the Burton Dasset area, which I thought was really interesting. But I was still left with this, this uh, pagan site. So I thought I'll ask a witch. <laughs> so I managed to find one. If you go to Glastonbury in England, you know, you, you, can't, you can't throw a stone without hitting Dime a Dime a dozen, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> Dime a dozen. Um, we say dime a no. dozen. What would you guys say? Penny a dozen or pence a dozen? I'm Pounds not being shit. I don't know. So, Wait, what is it? No, go yeah, ahead. I don't know. I I don't know. Um, to a penny, you'd say. To, to a, a penny. penny. Okay. To a penny, yeah. 
to yeah, a penny. To a penny. Okay, so witches they're... are to a penny in Glastonbury there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, witches are to a penny in Glasgow. Glasgow. Okay. Um, so this is Glastonbury. So Glastonbury, Glastonbury Tor and where the music festival is. And st- uh, there was a witch that was working in a, in a shop. And I, and, I, and I just asked her and showed her some pictures. And she gave me a view and she was really, really interesting. I don't want to dive into too much here, but the, the upshot of it was that she felt, the, the one thing, she explained what the symbols meant, which she thought mainly meant welcome. And the, the figures um, were representatives of perhaps past members that had moved on, past members of the coven that had moved on or people that couldn't be there. But what she was annoyed at was the fact that the markings had been spray painted on and really you should use ash. So the the whole pagan Wiccan um, ethos is about nature and not damaging nature, et cetera. Sure. So she was really annoyed that they just used like spray paint. So she felt it was well-meaning, but ultimately amateur people that had, but that had done this. Yeah. They need a good druid. I'm sure they're, they're a, for two over there as well, you know. Yeah, two a, yeah, druids are two a penny around Avery and um, Stonehenge. Yeah, teach them how to do so it. You get right. them all together and see what happens. Yeah, it's like the shamans out there. I think it's so cool. I just picture, <laughs> yeah, we got to get a good druid uh, to come hang out with us and walk around when we come do this. It does yeah. sound like something wild in the area, though, that it has such an incredible history and then especially odd behavior. We've got witch, Wiccan rituals and everything now. Now I'm curious if you've dove, dove into the uh, mythology of the area pre-Roman settlement. Was was there anything going on, like some fey um, sort of mythology around there, anything that you could locate? Um, well, the, the whole of Warwickshire is, is well known as a, as a truly ancient place, so it, but it would have been wooded up until more or less the Romans came. Um, so you would have your normal, normal... Um, stories that were frequent pre-Roman times. So generally people lived to the coast. They kept out of the woods because they were terrifying. There's things that eat you in there. Yeah. Um, so th- there wouldn't have been much to do. I mean, it would have been prominent, but it still probably would have been covered in woods. But the the what is interesting, I think, is the church. And just just going back a step. So I meant to mention that the the uh, the Wicker area, the Wicker site was exactly mirror image to where the church is on the on on the on the site so you've got it basically you've got the church and i'll come back to this in the green man in a minute but you've got the church on one side the other side of the hill as if in a mirror image in the wood you know almost matched up if they're on a map you'd bend them over and they'd more or less touch was the wiccans was the wicker site so it, it had been placed there i think deliberately to show a mirror image of the Christian church. Yeah. As a balance, almost as balancing as a ba- as a, the energies they would in see the place. It, perhaps they would see as a balance. Yeah. Yeah. But, we, but within, but yes, yeah, so within the church, there is a green man symbol, which is very, very, which is quite rare within churches. Yeah. And the green man symbol is an ancient British symbol. Uh, again, adopted by the Romans, um, but it had, it was adopted by Christianity to, signify the joining together of two worlds uh and in churches that's generally thought to have meant the joining together of paganism and christianity um but yeah the the chain the the church does feature these amazing carvings one of which is the green man carving it's it's beautiful uh and i can't wait to like i said get a copy of the new one with the color images in it guys linked below check it out it's a fun story either way i'd get both copies just so you can have it for reference (laughs) um are you going to keep the first one in print uh no so the the first one was was with flying disc Uh, i've moved over and and i've i'm a bit of a lone wolf congratulations Um, man get out on your own that's awesome yeah so i I, so and there was an absolute you know philip uh, mantle was very encouraging about it but i i hope to write a few more books uh and and do it under my own sort of steam really and the quality you you get from the amazon stuff and it sounds like a plug but the the quality that they come out with now is fantastic that's what i'm publishing these through i hear you yeah it's it's just easy um not easy actually but it's it's pretty decent quality i agree with that well congratulations and i misspoke at the beginning assuming you were still with him because I got the message from Philip to have you back on. So that's amazing. Uh, but <laughs> no, I just he, think it's well, all so awesome. So still, he's, you know, he's, that's he's, the love. He is, yeah. That's, that's the, the love. Great, I love Philip like that. Well, also it's a credit to, to him, really, yeah. 
Well, it is a credit to him because also uh, your growth. He empowered you enough from going to writing this book to going, you know what, I can do it on my own. And he encourages this. And then not only that, he wants to make sure that we know about the new book that you self-published to have you on for that, that he's yeah, not making anything yeah. on. I just no, love you, And he Philip, managed man. to fit in writing his own great books as well. Yeah, he's exactly. a proper gent. All right. Well, shout out Philip Mantle. Well done, buddy. But congratulations, man, on, on striking out on your own. That's a beautiful thing. So uh, what about underground structures under there? I know that when we talk about crazy light phenomena, we also want to ask about piezoelectricity type phenomena, maybe some water, uh, some aquifers and things like that. I know you'd mentioned a well, but what yeah. you know is down there? Has, is there a cave system down there? Have we gone under below the ore? Yeah, no. So, so there's no there's 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 no record or any way of, of finding that out without without digging it up. Somebody did mention because um, Magpie Hill is so distinctively triangular. Um, they suggested, well, could that be man-made? Could that be a pyramid underneath it? There's certainly nothing to suggest it. Um, again, to burrow down into it uh, would be. You know, would be a, would be a huge challenge. The underwater element is is an interesting one. So that the the well rises where just outside the church, and the church is in a funny place, but it's not on top of the hills. It's sort of in a natural plateau halfway up. Um, so you know that that would suggest that the water is coming down from somewhere or coming up from from somewhere. Uh, so there may be caverns, etc., connected with that, but. You know, it's too deep to dig. It's too deep for LIDAR or anything like that. Um, so I think it is a natural a natural place, Burton Dasset Hills. But whether, you know, whether it, because of its chemical, its geological makeup, it sucks energy in or, or even displaces it out, you know, some, something like that is happening to it to to cause the interest you know it's 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 pulled in humans for centuries perhaps a thousand years and then it appeared to for whatever reason perhaps the same same reason we find it interesting it seemed to pull in these craft creatures whatever they happen to be at the turn of the 20th century so interesting. It's it's just one of these things, man. It just makes you smile. It's just cool to know that that wicked awesome places like this exist. And it would be a great thing if you could, let's say, just phase through matter and iron ore was not a problem, then what you're describing as far as our challenges to get under there would be the perfect place for something to be there for something hiding that could, again, yeah. not be bound by the laws of physics as we kind of see this stuff doing. Yet still, it seems intelligent, which is fascinating. So I'm curious about your thoughts on UFOs and UAPs in general. Like, what is a more solid-looking craft? Have you seen any? And then also, I'm dying to know about your Men in Black. So please answer that however you like, man. Yeah. Okay. So I, I so I, I wouldn't say I'd seen a, a UFO. Uh, I think the closest experience I had was in was in Burton Dasset Hills. So what happened then was that it was in, we went out with a friend of mine. We used to do nighttime observations. We did a bit of wild camping, do a lot of walking around the area. And one night in February 2020, there was a gap in a storm that was, I think it was Storm Brenda or something was coming all over the UK. Not a proper storm like you get, but, you know, a storm for the UK's <laughs> UK measure. Uh, and it, we managed to get a bit of a gap in it. So we walked up onto the hills, decided we'd do a bit of observations, um, looking out over the hills and over the back. Um, and for whatever reason, despite despite the cold, I sort of fell asleep for 20 minutes or so, but then was woken up by this sound, which was like a, uh, an engine rotating. Vroom, 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 vroom. But it was getting louder and louder, and it seemed to come from everywhere all at once around where I was underneath the poncho. Damn. And I looked up, there was no lights. There was no real change of atmosphere, atmospherics or static or anything like that. But this, just this noise that was in, seemed impossible for a machine that we would know that could recreate. It just got faster and faster and faster. It went on for about five minutes and got louder and louder and louder. And then it just suddenly stopped if it had been switched off. Wow. And I, th I just thought that was an incredible thing. And I had to pinch myself. Has that just happened? And it, and it had. And that, 
I made some notes, checked my watch, you know, make sure I didn't have any missing time or anything. Um, but uh, a couple of months later, I was doing general research about uh, UFOs and I came across an account, which I think was from around about 1988. And it was a South African farmer and his friends. And they're describing seeing a, a craft in South Africa, uh, what they described as like a mother craft uh, with lots of other uh, craft following it that went over the top of them. And it had the sound, and this is how he described it, like a VW Beetle, a rotary engine. So I don't know if you know how much you know about That's VW like, Beetles, but VW Beetles have their engines on their sides. Yeah. So they make this vroom, 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 vroom noise. And when I when I read that, I thought that's it. That's that's what I heard. It was like that VW, but on a huge, massive scale, obviously. Right. And uh, and I, and that was good because it felt as though it was like cooperation. You know, I wasn't, I didn't imagine it. Someone else had said something uh, very very similar. Now I'm just curious to see if one of your neighbors, you know, took their old Vita bug, figured out a way to, you know, maybe flip it on the other side and it's backfiring down, down the Warwickshire as it's flying around somehow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they'd have to be going some space because it, it was like being in the middle of it. And it was, because anyway, people put forward, well, is it farm machinery? Was it something from the barracks across, you know, uh, MOD Kitan? But it, it was nothing that could be created by anything that was man-made because it, it was everywhere. You know, it was all encompassing this sort of noise. So I think that's the closest I've come to me to my own um, experience. And then uh, my own sort of it wasn't a sighting; it was like an audible encounter, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and then yes, the so my my view on UFOs has changed, I think, increasingly, um, in as much as. I was very much in the nuts and bolts camp and believe that the only way you would change people's view of UFOs would be to have a craft stripped down in front of them and say, look, well, we can't explain any of this. That has changed, I think, partly because the Tic Tac videos, because actually those Tic Tac videos and the um, sightings from the Navy, etc., have gone a long way. You know, I, I think that the... Debate has changed in as much as it's not, do UFO exist? I think if you speak to 80% of people now, they will say, well, yes, UFO exists. It's now on to the big question, which everyone has always struggled with. What, the what are they? Is it? And what yeah. do they want? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I've moved away from those, and I increasingly think perhaps they are interdimensional. I, I think perhaps the, I heard a good term the other day, which was um, ultra-terrestrial. So the idea that there's a breakout civilization somewhere still on the planet that are just years and years and years ahead, uh, ahead of us. So perhaps they're ultra-terrestrial, these crafts that are coming around. But also the, the multi-dimensional angle as well. Increasingly, intelligent life forms have become very interesting. And I, and, I, and I tell a story in the book. I don't give too much away, but I tell a story in the book by a commercial pilot who... Um, was on a cargo run between Southampton and um, Hamburg, I believe it was, and him and his co-pilot saw something very similar to the lights that were seen in 1922-23, two green lights heading towards them. Initially, the initial thought was, well, that's another plane and it's the green uh, light from a wing, but they worked out it would be on the wrong. It was on the wrong side. So if it was a plane, it was flying backwards. So they thought, well, it's not that. It's too, it's it must be something else. So these two lights came at speed towards them, and he describes as green fuzzy lights. And one he saw go over the top of him, and one went underneath. And he's pretty ha happy that the one that went over the top did go over the top. He saw out the side window, but he goes on to tell a fantastic story about his interactions with that second green light, which I detail in the book. And I don't want to give any more away than that. You don't have to. I, I like, uh, <laughs> I like the teasers. That's fine. That's fine. We'll take it. You're giving us so much gold here, brother. You can have that teaser. That's fine. I love it. Um, and again, guys, link down below his first self-published book. Please get it. Uh, okay. So now you mentioned a men in black encounter 
or was yeah. it an alien? Like, what's going on, man? That sounds so. That, as shit. So that one, um, yeah, I, that that was. So again, it was me, same friend. Went up on the hills after a day's walking. We spent some time on Burnt Dasset Hill because oh, something always happens there. It appear, and on this this occasion, it was really strange. In as much as it was probably about November time. Um, yeah, it was. It would have been about November time. Dark, about eight o'clock at night. Nobody else in the park because the weather's too too bad. We parked up. No one around. I was in our my um, camper van. Parked up. Really, really cold. Quite wet. Quite miserable. But I thought, oh, come on, we'll have a walk around and just see what we can see. <clears throat> so we parked up the far corner um, at uh, Beacon Hill, and you walk along a uh, quite a, a road and a path towards Windmill Hill, which is the, the main hill. And then you do a left, which takes you out towards the woods, which is where we were going to sort of head. As we were walking down this road, and it is a proper tarmac road, th- there was a, it's, it's, it was a American style Chevy. And I only know this from research after, but a Chevrolet van, like, and uh, again, th- this is research after, like the A-Team's van. So it oh, had okay. it had rounded edges. That's how I described it. It was like a, a small British Transit van, but it had Astro? rounded edges. So it was rounded, like a Chevy Astro. Something, yeah, something like that. It was I'm like a pull Chevy. one up for the audience who's watching the. Uh, <laughs> it was like a Chevy here, van. because to picture a um, Men in Black, a scary, a scary Men in Black get out of a Chevy Astro is hilarious. <laughs> you guys check the show notes for <laughs> well, the video they, version. They weren't, they weren't in there, but it was they, this. This van was just left. It was in a road, so it was a road you drive down, but it was just left there. So we nearly walked into it because it's dark at night, etc. It had no number plates on it, no lights on it. <laughs> like right, this mean have... machine right here? Right, so you see the one that's going for, which is a bit of a bargain, to be honest, $220. Yeah, man, that's not bad. And he's, it's souped up as well, this little yeah, thing. Yeah, so it looked like that with a similar sort of color. Oh, it was souped up. They had a souped up well, Chevy it, Astro. It, 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 yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, the Astro and it, but it was it was a beige. The bottom half of it was a brown like that, but the top half Two-tone. was a beige. Oh it was a beige. shit! Well, we could tell man. this, but we eventually got our camera phones out and use use the um use the light there. But it, and it had markings on the side. It was a bit rounder than that, so maybe that was that was ninety five two thousand four. So maybe it was like an older model, like eighties. Because you go eighties, you get like a rounded one like this. And I don't yeah, know if yeah, they were souping these more... bad boys up. What about this this thing right here? <laughs> this guy looks. Oh well, now we're just shopping for Astro. No, great. <laughs> My search history is going to be so dumb for a few weeks. Thanks a lot, Richard. <laughs> anyway, go ahead, please, sir. Yeah. So, um, yeah. No, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed looking at them, but. Um, the, the it was just randomly parked across the road, uh, and we, you know, so we nearly bumped into it. It it wasn't really doing anything, but it was just really strange to be there. So we walked around it. There was nobody we could see. Windows are tinted out, of course. There's nobody we could see in it, but we basically walked around it. Well, you know, it is a bit of a strange place. Not sure what's going on, but you know, there we are. So we carried on walking. But as we walked up, we walked on the top of the hills, did a few observations for about five, 10 minutes, but the weather was that bad. We thought, right, we're going to, we're going to head back down. So as we came back down, me and my friend, we saw a, a purple light. It was like a purple laser. So it was, it was a very bright, intense, small light, but it had sort of, you know, you could see the distortion of the light around it. So it looked like a laser, very, very bright. And as we walked down the hill, we could see that this light was over in the back of a car park. As we got closer, we could see the light was coming out of this van that we'd saw earlier, as if something was placed in the back of it, and it was shining through the front windscreen. And we thought, well, that, that's that strange. We now, we, I can now see that there's a figure in the driving seat at least, and this this light, this purple laser, seems to be pointing out the front up into the into the sky. So I think, well, we're going to have to go over and just see what's going on, aren't we? Because that is that is strange. As we walk down into going to the road, some lights come on behind us, turn around, and it's a big black British style Range Rover, and the lights have come onto it. We can see two figures in in the car, in the car. And 
as we go to walk towards this van with the purple light in it, it starts driving towards us. And so we, I stop and I say to my friend, what do, you, what do you think about this? He doesn't look too happy. Now, I do say, and I've written about it in more detail in the book, I do say in the book, if this was Stranger Things or X-Files, then, of course, you'd just go anywhere, wouldn't you? But this is real life <laughs> and there is two people following us in a car and we're opposite a military base. And from my experience, these look like military type guys and a big spanking brand new Range Rover Sport. You know, they're, they're not to be messed with, is my view. So we we turned around and moved away from the purple light and walked past the the Range Rover people in it, all blacked out windows. It, it's light still on. It let us walk past. And then as we walked back up the road, it turned round and then sat behind us again with the lights on. And when we got to the junction, we turned right to go back to our vehicle and it, it drove up to the edge of the junction and just sat there. And we walked back to the camper van and we were like, what's all that about? You know, that, that just didn't, didn't seem right. So we got in the van and, and drove off the hills. It was about nine, nine o'clock, half nine by now. Um, and it, it wasn't there, neither. We couldn't really see either the van again. But if I was to push it to extreme, that looked to me like a US-British military operation, for want of a better word. And the, the purple light was some sort of tracker, some sort of laser, some sort of measuring instrument. I, I don't know, but it was really, really strange, really strange. Well, the only issue I've really got with the story is is that you guys got the super dope black Range Rover and we got this shitty little Astra 1987. <laughs> I found the one. Here it is. Uh, two-tone yeah. right here. It's got rims. They're pretty proud of the they, that, they that is white very walls. Good. Yeah, that's very good as to what it was. It, the colors were perhaps a bit reversed, but it was darker on the bottom. But yeah, that's that's more or less what it was like. Merca. Okay. Well, great. And this was recent. This this was uh, this was November twenty twenty two. Yeah, yeah. So little, about a year ago, a little after this was in stock here. Okay, well yeah. that's fine. I just wanted to make sure. So we're you the U.S. is allegedly using nineteen eighty seven Astro vans, <laughs> four point liter V six actually, uh, one hundred and twenty uh, one hundred and fifty two horsepower there, guys. So they're going for quite a deal. I don't know. Maybe yeah. there'll be a resurgence um, in it in I stocking suppose, vehicles. You know how 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 common. Are they are they in the UK to a penny or you know are they that no, common? They're over not. There? They're not. They're very yeah, very. I was about rare. to say. I would think they'd be pretty rare. Not like bugs in Cuba or something. I mean, they're they're yeah, pretty yeah, rare. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Quite wild, yeah, my um, friend. But it puts a new light on it. I I think it's silly. You know, I wouldn't be able to take it seriously. Um, I'd just be like, in that really? Go on, man. It's yeah, just I funny. don't. Know what, I mean. Yeah, I suppose if I if I was making it up, I'd I'd come up with they had a big Humvee or a big. Well, it's even weirder. <laughs> but that, to that's be what we saw. That is what we saw. So, yeah, it was really strange. Yeah, I don't know. Nothing's off the table, I suppose. Um, no. Well, my friend, uh, before we let you go here, I wanted to make sure that you and I had touched on um, something that you'd mentioned that I think is wonderful. Um, before we get into that, though, again, guys, all the ways to find him, his amazing work, um, and your email, actually, is what you've requested that I'll link, so I will do so down there. Contact him directly. Obviously, a very sweet, sweet man. And uh, we're going to do this many more times because you've got a lot more in you, buddy. And we're going to come hang out with you over there. So, again, guys, email me if you all want to go do that. We'll get a party together. This being the the century edition, man, this is so cool. So are you going to go out there and do anything for it? Because we're talking about, you know, we're in the month 100 years ago of when this phenomena started right in your backyard. Yeah, so we're coming we're coming to the end of it, end of the year now. So it was, it, it was December 1923, uh, sorry, uh, February 1923. So we've had that year around, which is why, I, I, why I've got this sort of centenary edition, because I wanted to see what happened that year and um you know i'd love to say a mothership came and landed and <laughs> and picked the church up but it didn't didn't make so, it in the book no, so. we, I've, i have i have lots of contacts with um the locals and you know that that final big happening didn't seem to be but 100 years to us is is nothing to whatever the, this intelligence is and i had enough um like i said the, the book is double the size so i had enough new material i felt it was worth justifying doing it now but i will keep going back to that area you know there's just something about it every time i go up there 
I encounter witches. I hear stuff. I, you know, see people in various American um, trucks and and fans. So, you know, it, it it is just one of the places that wherever you go up, there's always a story, I suppose. It sounds like either way you'd be successful with a port, uh, pitchfork shop and an Astro Van dealership. <laughs> You know, maybe combine the two somehow. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or yeah, a tire repair shop or something as well up there. Also, one quick fun fact for the audience here that may not know. We mentioned green lights and airplanes and why would that be significant if they could tell by a light on a plane which way it was going. And some people may not know this. So I'm going to drop this on you. Navigation position lights are on the ends of each wingtip of the big wings, not the ailerons, the small wings, the large wings of aircraft. And what happens is, is they put a green light always on the right side, a red light always on the left side. So you've got your port light, your starboard light. So that way you can tell which way it's coming or going, or if you're facing the side of it, really they're navigational lights for you, the ground observer, to be able to tell which way the aircraft is going. So boom, pow, knowledge dropped on you. He yeah, learned wow. something as well, as well as the Every 1987 Astro Vans are still a thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So, my friend, um, you you had written about uh, men's mental well-being, and I'd like to talk about this because um, I briefly touched on a couple of episodes here. I recently am out uh, on the other side of what I feel is the most challenging experience mentally that I've ever been through, and uh, stepping into the other side of it, which I didn't think I was going to. Um, a lot has changed for me. And it sounds like mm. just uh, Kitsmit or serendipitously, if you want to say that, you'd also mentioned it in something that you'd like if we had time to mention. And so I'd like to make time for that, sir. So what are your thoughts on men's mental health, please? Yeah, I just I just think it's important really for, I came out of the police after 28 years, six years in the military, wasn't in a great place for six months, caused by stress. Uh, I had three friends that committed suicide in the police because of their work, two a uh, police officer commits suicide in the UK once every fortnight. You know, the, the um, statistics are frightening. But uh, what I found was the fact that, you know, men can talk to each other. I, I'm, I'm very much of the opinion that um, we have a lot of these issues because we do bottle things up and we're scared to mention it and what our friends and peers might think. And it was only afterwards uh, I thought I could have saved myself a lot of trouble uh, and mental anguish by talking to somebody when I was in the job, I was in the police, um, getting stuff out there because it all seemed to just reach a point. Um, when I was no longer going to work, my brain was still moving. At, um, it was described to me like a roulette wheel and they take the ball out, it still spins around. Um, so, I, yeah, so I've, I've since started to help uh, police officers that come out, re re uh, that retire and, and struggle, or even officers that are still in the in the the police that are going through um, traumatic times, either caused by events that they've been to, or a build up of events, or because they're under investigation for various things. Uh, and so, I do like to take the opportunity where I can just to say, you know. Men out there, you know, the, the suicide rates for young men is an absolute disgrace in this country. I'm sure it's the same in the US. And just try to say to 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 men, but people in general, you know, do do talk, don't keep it bottled up. Mindfulness, we did our mindfulness exercise before we came on, didn't we, Brandon? And it it, it can really, really help. Um, and do you do seek help, yeah, you know, do seek help if you're feeling down. Um, you know, people get treated if they've got a broken leg, but if they're, and there's no shame in that, but yeah, if people's mind are break, breaking, then there seems to be a, sh a shame in that, even though it could be chemical, it could be um, buildup of emotions. These, these are all, uh, and the big thing I found out is how uh, physical symptoms can be a result of stress. Um, you know, and you've got to tell people about it. You know, you've got to reach out, speak to it, take one step at a time, uh, ask for help if you need it. So, yeah, I really, I really appreciate that. I think there's more we can do to, to help men that are struggling with their mental health. Well, you already held a very special place in my heart, my friend, and I really thank you uh, for bringing that up. And I'm grateful that we got to touch on it here, because like you said, the more we shine some light on it, the more it's not taboo anymore. And yes, guys, like he right. said, his email is going to be linked below. Please reach out expandingrealitypodcast.com at Gmail. Um, 
podcast at gmail.com. You know how that works. Links below as well. If anybody has anything to say on that, please reach out, guys. You're not alone, number one. Number two, it's not weird to talk about. It's actually weird yeah. if you don't talk about it because yeah. then you get so many opportunities for all of us saying, hey, there's no shame in this. We've all been through the ringer. This is a fucked up place, and let's just be honest about it. And as long as we can be honest that this is a fucked up place, then we can move forward from there. So... Richard Rokeby, I can't thank you enough, brother. This is incredible. All the ways to find you located down below as well as your email for contact. My friend, did you have any parting words for us uh, before we say goodbye? No, but, I mean, time? just just that point, and I, and I think you, you uh, covered it very eloquently there. But, you know, people, who they want to talk to about their, their struggles is different for each person. It could be your best friend. It could be a complete stranger. Either is good. You know, yep. whatever you feel more comfortable is, but... Just doing that process of talking about it, getting it out, can, can make the world a world of difference, and we'll try and bring down those suicide rates. In in in, in young men is 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 predominantly how I, uh, you know where my concern comes from. Beautiful. What what gives you hope? Let's leave on a high note here. What what keeps well, you getting I think, out of bed I think every there, morning? I think there is hope. I think more people talking about it is better. We have high profile people. Uh, David Beckham, the footballer, did an excellent um, podcast recently. Uh, about his mental health and how he, he dealt with his struggles and mental health. Robbie Williams, uh, who's a pop star, very much into his UFOs and ufology. He did something similar again with a Netflix documentary. So uh, it's small steps, but it is becoming more um, more accepted to say, you know, buddy, I'm struggling. I just need to get some things off my chest. So that, that that's great. That, and that's what we want. Richard, we love you, dude. Thank you so much for this, man. You're outstanding. We look forward to everything. Thank you. That's all right. I really enjoyed it, Brandon. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.